1 Kings chapter 17, beginning at verse 8. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, this, this is one of those texts that is disorienting to me. I don't consider it to make sense that of all the people who were alive in that day, that God would choose one of the most needy to send a prophet to her home and that he would have the audacity to ask her, first of all, to just walk into town, look at a stranger and say, fetch me some water. So there's that. But then to say, oh, make me a morsel too. And after she tells him, I have nothing, we're in the middle of a famine, I'm gonna make a meal, I'm going to eat, my son is going to eat, and then she, ha she says, and we are going to die. And he says, okay, but make me one first. And here's what it forces all of us. This is just one of those most obvious moments that anytime we're in the gospel and we hit something that is disorienting to us, we have one of two choices. We can reject the word or we can go deeper into it and force the word to transform us so that what was confusing to us, we actually understand. And to, to some measure, this is why all of us should be in the house of the Lord every single Sunday. We shouldn't come to be affirmed. We shouldn't come to just be made feel better, to feel better. Will Jesus comfort you? Yes, but he will also challenge you because we're all in a place, we're all on a journey, and we all have opportunity to grow in him. If we're going to grow in him, then that usually means there is something we're hanging on to, some idea that we have to discard in order to pick up his thoughts. I don't, I don't know about your thoughts, but not every one of mine are right. Not every one of mine are good. And so when I come into the gospel and something from the gospel says, 
you're wrong about this. Honestly, it irritates me. And I don't like it. But I've noticed when I just go ahead and jump in, it forces me to transform. And this is what the gospel calls the renewal of the mind. But when I look at this, I'm not renewed yet. It also bothers me that there's a famine all over the land just because a few people are stupid. That really, that really annoys me. I've always been one of those, if you're in a room of 12 people and two people do something ridiculous and then all of a sudden the rules change for the other 10. Why? Why? Why, why do I have to sit there quiet in the class because these guys were out of line? Why? Just kick them out. Just me. So here, Elijah, he wasn't living incorrectly. He's following the voice of the Lord, and now he's in the middle of a famine because people were stupid. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like any form of that. When we go and it's like, it's the promised land. There's a reason God called it the promised land. It was flowing with milk and with honey. And then we go through the history and we see a minimum of 14 times that the land of God, the promised land, was in the middle of a famine. Five of those were judgment because people had done what they should not have done. So a judgment came over the land and the whole land was placed into a place of famine. But here's the thing, even in the middle of a famine, there's still the promise of prosperity, but it didn't look like uh, Elijah was having a prosperous journey because he's in the middle of a foreign town begging a widow for something to drink and something to eat. That doesn't sound like abundance to me. Don't look at me like that. Psalm chapter 37 verse 18 says, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage remains forever. They are not put to shame in the evil times and in the days of famine, they have abundance. That was written 100 years before Elijah's living in the middle of this moment, but yet he's scraping for food from a brook all the way to Zarephath. So that's annoying to me, disorienting even to me. But then it's just, it's the worst that he's asking of this from a widow. We're, we're told to be there for widows. This was the command in Deuteronomy. This is the command even in the New Testament, James 1.27. Pure, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Well, he was visiting them all right, showing up asking for a meal. So I, I don't like it. I don't like it. But I have to deal with it, and we all do. When the word challenges us, it forces us to fix us. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. So it's not just about hearing the word or reading the word. Faith comes, we see this in the New Testament, faith comes when we hear the word. When the word of God is preached, the beginning of faith has happened. Hearing the word is the catalyst to our faith. 
but our faith is completed by our works. Why? Because James said faith without works isn't faith at all. It's, it's dead. Wisdom without insight isn't wisdom at all. It is only completed in our lives when we actually do the thing that we have received. Therefore, when I read the word, it's not enough for me just to read it and either discount it when I don't agree with it or celebrate it when I do. When I read the word, I am forced to obey the word so that something in me actually receives insight to the wisdom that I accepted. I wasn't there when I looked into this text, but the gospel calls me further. This happens to us all the time. At least it happens to me all the time. We'll see something in the Word. The Word may say that something is, um, oh, I don't know. Maybe it just says that something is wrong. And it's easy for me to think that it's wrong until somebody I love lives that exact way. Like, it's, it's easy to say, oh, somebody shouldn't do this until the somebody that's doing this is a person that you really like. And then all of a sudden, they're like, well, what do you think? Uh, well... I mean, I understand why you're doing this. Like, I get it. I just, you know, I just believe God will be merciful. And all of a sudden, we start twisting the word, right? Not because the word changed, but because we got put in a situation where now I'm having to, I really like this person. I really understand their situation, but I know what the word says, but God will, like, he'll forgive me, and I just, I want to keep this relationship. And, and we've, sometimes we force the word to change rather than change ourselves. Just quick conversation, the word doesn't change. The word, it does, it does not change. It never changes. We go up into that text, I had a problem with there being a famine, but it says here's the thing, in the evil time, the person whose ways are blameless, they will not be put to shame. But what happens to us many times is we say, oh, I'm a Christian, but we live according to the evil time. We live just, we live just like the world lives, and then we want to have the reward of the Christian. It doesn't happen that way. Can I pick on Halloween for a minute? I do it every year. You guys get mad at me. I get e emails. I understand. I just want to do it again. I just want to do it again. I'm a glutton for punishment. I, I, I've gotten to where I just don't even like October. I don't like, I don't like pulling into my neighborhood and everybody's got this stupid stuff hanging from their houses. I don't like the ads that pop up on my newsfeed. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of the, you can't even watch a football game. Like the nonsense that comes on the screen. I'm driving down the road. Don't go to, don't go to Tampa. They got more scare houses, this house, that house, bloods all over billboards. I'm like, I don't even want to see this. We're like, oh, Sean, it's just whatever. It's just the devil. That's what it is. Yeah. It's just the devil. I was at a football game the other day, Christian school. They're playing Michael Jackson's Thriller. Okay, I liked that song when I was like 12. But at 49, I thought, what are the actual lyrics to this? You know, the whole, like, I'm okay. That's cool when I'm a kid. And I go look up the lyrics, like, what are we singing? What are we filling the minds of our kids with? And I look at the house across the street from the school with all this demonic stuff hanging from it, and I think, what's the difference? What's, what's the difference? 
We, we, the church, if we keep filling ourselves with the same garbage, we're going to be just as tormented, just confused as the world is. I'm not telling you to not to. I'm just telling you, don't come asking for prayer when you're simply reaping what you've put into your heart. When you're, when you're tormented and you're confused and you're anxious and you're worried, let me just tell you, it's because what you've been watching and what you've been reading and what you've been listening to and what you've been looking at for the last 30 days. All right, that's all. That's all. See, that was almost, it was almost painless. Almost. Oh, almost. Painless. But we, ha we have to get into the word and let the word change us. Jesus said this to Peter one time in uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 23. Peter just gotten done telling Jesus, oh, you don't have to die on the cross. You don't have to obey God. You don't have to do the thing that you're put on earth to do. And then Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for your mind is not set on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, this can be said sort of a couple of different ways, but I want to make sure that we put it all together so we see it all together. He dealt with, Jesus dealt with the root of the problem first. Get behind me, Satan. But who is he talking to? Peter. He didn't tell Satan, Satan, you don't have your mind set on the things of God, but rather you have your mind set on the things of man. Jesus didn't say that to Satan. Jesus rebuked Satan, cut him off, got him out of the way. Then he dealt with Peter. Peter, you, Peter, are a hindrance to me, Jesus. You, Peter, do not have your mind set on the things of God, but rather you have your mind set on the things of man. I know when my mind is more set on the things of man than on the things of God, because when I get into the word, God's word disorients me. God's word frustrates me. God word, God's word confuses me. Why? Because I'm so set in the world that when I get in the word, this is actually confusing. But this, the world is what should be confusing. Let me just say right now, as Christians, we should walk around lost. Like, like for real lost. We should go to Walmart and look around and be like, I have no idea what is happening to people. We should drive down the road, look around and say, I, what is going on in the world we live in? But instead, we're super comfortable out in the world. We come into the church and I don't know what's wrong with Christians these days. I'll, I'll tell you what's wrong with Christians, us. Us. We're too oriented in the world. So we have to shift. We have to be renewed. 1 Corinthians 2.14. So the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now that was very intentional that the word said they do not accept the word so they cannot understand it. It didn't say they can't accept it. We can all accept it. Every one of us can accept the word. And when we are willing to accept the word, then by the spirit of God, we will be able to 
understand the word and all your wisdom that you get, get what? Insight, that's understanding. We get understanding. I bet, maybe you've met people, I've certainly met people that are, they're really good in this area over here. Maybe they're just really good at, at math or maybe they're extremely talented, they're a really good singer, they're an excellent athlete. And then if you'll notice, that gains them popularity which then becomes a transfer of influence. So they're good at this, but now all of a sudden we're listening to them about things like morality and ethics and politics. But what do they know? They're just really good at this. But we let this shape how we think about their views here. But here's the thing. The carnal person, the natural person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So I can't take someone who's really good in this space, but who is an unbeliever, and let them influence me in matters of morality. I, I can't. When they open their mouths, if it's against the gospel, that is what should be disorienting to me. Their words not his. We'll get to what this text is talking about. I just want to make sure we have a willingness to hear what God is saying. And in order to do that, sometimes we have to work on our mindset. Mindset has to shift. Because now we're going to start going into a conversation about generosity. One of the biggest things that is challenging in my life and has been is this conversation about generosity. It just, it just is. I feel like I have always been generous, but I've always had to work on it. Like it's just this, my, my natural benchmark is not to just give the farm away. I don't, I don't think of, I just, I don't function that way. But I have seen people who have been very generous in their lives and I want my life to be like that. I see generosity commanded in the scripture and I want my life to conform to that. Let me just, maybe I can set it up this way. Maybe this will help you. Sometimes you just say something, you're like, well, I mean, okay. All right, so um, we're in the middle of a, of a campaign just for everyone. And we're, we've given everybody, here's this list. If you don't want to give what's on that list, pick another number, but just pick a number. We, we, want, we want every, I, I don't care what it is. We want everybody to participate. Why? Because I want the whole church involved. So our number, because I'm probably going to see your number. I see most people's numbers. My number is $50,000. That's what my family and I, we decided to do. When I say my family and I, I mean, we sat the kids down and we said, here's what we're giving. And that means that you are gonna have to give up some things because this is gonna take all of us. And they all had to sign the card because I don't wanna hear they're complaining. Like, we're, we're all doing this together. And they're like, great. The other day, there was an Amazon package at the door. One of the kids, I don't remember which one it was. They said, ah, uh, I thought we were on a spending freeze. Why is there an Amazon package at the door? Like, we haven't even started giving yet, but there's a spending freeze apparently at the house. Uh, Lucy, she's my, like, Lucy likes to eat the way I like to eat. The Kate, Walt, they just eat too good. Lucy and I and Claire, we can, we can enjoy snacks. We like snacks. She had a, she was cheering the other night and afterwards, she says, hey, let's go to Taco Bell. That is my language. <laughs> let's go to Taco Bell. 
So we go and they have this new sidebar. They have this new like drink. It's like a slushy of sorts, a strawberry cream delight delicious. <laughs> Just absolutely delicious. Anyhow, so I didn't know they had it. I ordered one, we ordered some stuff and it came up to 702. And now at McDonald's the other day, it was like $1.97. Would you like to round up for, I think Ronald McDonald House or whatever? I'm like, sure, three cents. True story, 702. The lady says, would you like to round up? I said, no, I would not like to round up. 98 cents, we're on a spending freeze. I'm not rounding up. I'm sorry, we have priorities. You can't give to everything. We got bags of the bumper coming up. I got groceries I need to buy for folks who need Thanksgiving. Samaritan's Purse, uh, uh, the Christmas shoebox is coming up. We got like, I, I don't, 98 cents to Taco Bell. I don't even know where it's going. You're already upcharging me, I'm sure, for a, for a taco. All right, whatever. Here's my point. I want you to see I'm cheap. That's what I want you to see. I just, I just want you to see that generosity, it's, it's not my set point. But the gospel forces me to comply and be the person God wants me to be because when I do, I have all God desires for me to have. And so when I go ahead and embrace this truth, then why wouldn't everyone be invited into the process of giving, even this widow in the town of Zarephath. And so from that perspective, let's just buzz through this. So the first thing that we see is that Elijah asks her for um, water. And she says yes. She goes to follow what he asked for immediately, goes to get water. And then he says, okay, oh, while, while you're going, bring me something to eat too. And that's where there's resistance. That's where all of a sudden there's pushback. And I think all of us are this way. We will follow God in certain places, but we don't always want to follow him in every place. We'll give him this, but maybe we won't give him that. Some of you, it was a big deal just for you to show up in the house of the Lord on Sunday morning. So you gathered according to the word of God. But now that you've gathered according to the word of God and somebody says, hey, let's lift up our hands and worship him. And I'm like, well, I'm not gonna lift my hands too. I mean, isn't it enough that I'm here? Like I'm here, but lift, my, like that's uncomfortable. Some of you, you lift. And then as soon as um, Steve Patrick comes up here, now we're talking about giving. Well, now I'll, I'll gather. I'll lift my hands, but I'm not giving. Like, not, not, like we all, all of us, and we just follow God to a point, and we follow him here, and we follow him there, but we're not always willing to follow him in every place. Like, I'll do this, but I won't do that. The other day, um, my wife wanted a booth built in the kitchen. And um, I don't like doing finish-type carpentry. Part of it is it just takes too long. And I'm not super patient. I love, like, so the way my days work, I work Saturday afternoon through Thursday, and then I have Friday and Saturday morning off. If I can't get a project done in Friday and Saturday morning, I don't want to do it. And it's, it, the only reason why is I don't like leaving a mess. Like, I just, I have a problem, it's me, I know it's me, I'm the issue. So if something's gonna take three weekends, I'll set everything up, I'll do my work for a day and a half, and then I can't leave it until the next weekend, I have to clean it all up and put it away. 
and then I come back out the next weekend and start again, and it's a total waste of time. Like, it's 30 minutes of cleaning up and putting back, but I, I can't not do it. Like, I'll, I'll lose my mind. So I don't like those projects. So I said, I'm not doing that. You, you, we can find somebody to build a booth. She says, I can't find I said, I don't want to build a booth. I don't want to. I'm not going to do it. And she just, I don't know how your wife is. Mine is obnoxious sometimes. Just <laughs> absolutely obnoxious. And she just kind of gives me this little, like, smirk. Like, yes, you will. I'm like, yes, oh, no, I won't. I'm a grown man. So I was building the booth the other day. Because I was finally willing. I mean, I put it off forever. I was finally willing to just do, do that thing that I said I wasn't going to do. And all of us in our relationship with God, we find that space where it's like, I'm not willing to do this. Wherever you are in that journey, if today could be anything, could it just be an encouragement to you for the next step? Whatever that step is, that you're just willing to take the next step. Because what can happen sometimes is when we keep resisting the word, resisting the word, resisting the word, eventually sometimes we resist, resist the word that we already have. Jesus said it this way um, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 16. He was explaining different types of people. And he compared one group of people to stony ground. And he said, these are the ones where the seed is sown on stony ground. They're the, they're the ones who they hear the word and immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves they're not connected. They have no root, and they endure for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And we can make decisions to follow God, and we come into the moment, and now all of a sudden there's a little bit of trouble, and now we just push back and we walk away from it. I've heard time and time and time again through the years, people make a decision like, I just decided I was going to start giving. And they give, and the next week, the tires blow up on their car. And they're like, what in the world? Didn't have this problem before. Persecution and tribulation arises on account of the word. Not the word that you just hear, but the word that you're committed to do. Why? Because the enemy wants to keep you from doing the thing that God is asking you to do because he doesn't want you to step into the reward that God has for you because you did the thing he asked you to do. And this happens to us all the time. Oh, I'm going to start being nicer to my spouse. And you walk in with a choice. You're going to be nice. You walk in the door and it just, well, now, now they lit you up, right? I'm going to stop yelling at my kids. No more yelling at the kids. And then now, now, right? This happens with all of us. We're all, we, are, we all have to deal with where we are. She was willing to follow him to get water, but she wasn't willing to get a morsel of bread. Think about the way that Elijah followed. Elijah, God said, okay, there's gonna be a famine. At your word, Elijah prays, there's now famine. God says, I'm gonna send you over here to this brook. I'm gonna feed you. Ravens are gonna bring you food and water's gonna flow like a river. Water flowed like a river. Ravens brought him food in the morning. They brought him food in the evening. Everything was going good and then the brook dried up. He didn't just sit there and complain and moan and groan and say, God, why did this happen? Why is this happening to me? You told me to pray. I prayed, now there's a famine. Now I don't even have water. Water dries up, God says, get up, go to Zarephath, I'm going to command a widow there to feed you. Okay. 
I would have argued. I would have been, why, why does it have to be a widow? Can it, can it be, can't you send me to the palace? Can't I just go like beg to the rich guy? It's what everybody else does. Can I just do that? But that's not what God told him to do. And we have to be willing to be obedient in whatever step God tells us to do, in whatever way he asks us to do that. We, ha- we have to be willing. And so when we talk about generosity, here are some of the things that we see. This is what uh, another thing that Jesus told us. He said that um, you, you, you need to put your treasure in the kingdom of God because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Like that's a, that's a big command. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, that rolls both ways. When I put my resources in the kingdom, my heart is in the kingdom. Or when my heart is in the kingdom, my resources will be in the kingdom. It, it just, it, there's a connection point. What is that? That's called a root. It's, there's just a willingness to be connected. And when we follow this, there is always reward. There's always a promise on the other side. I want you to look at the, where, this, where this lady was in, in this moment. Um, she gave him the reason why she wasn't going to make the cake. And everything was reasonable. She said, um, all I'm doing is picking up sticks, and I'm going to make a fire, and all I have is a little bit of this in the jug and a little bit of this in the jar. My son's going to eat, I'm going to eat, and we're going to die. That was all true. Every word she said was true. Every excuse she gave was a good one. But when I dig a little further, instead of seeing the excuse, what I see is she had everything necessary to obey God. He asked for a little cake. She had enough to make a little cake. She could follow. God wasn't asking her to do anything that she couldn't do. She just had it allocated to be in the wrong place. And this happens for all of us, it certainly happened to me one time. Um, when my wife and I first got married, we, um, we wanted to build a house. That's what we wanted to do. I was a contractor, and so it, um, it was something that, that I could do. And so we're like, well, we're, we're going to save up. And so we, um, we moved into a, oof, like a shed, it felt like. It was a duplex, and we were in the one half, and it didn't have air conditioning. Uh, but it did have one of those wall units in the family room, but the bedroom was over there, and after the first night of just, you know, we're, we're newlyweds sort of at that point, and you, you need air conditioning. And so we moved the bedroom into the family room where the wall unit was. So it was like a hotel. You open the door, and there's the bed. It was perfect. It was like going on vacation every time I came home. And so uh, we just lived cheap. So we could build a house, and the idea was we'll build the house, and we'll live here for a few years, and then we'll upgrade, and then we'll do it again, and we'll do it again until we have this massive house like that. That was the goal. That was the plan. And so um, we did that. Then around 07 happened, so it would have been the time of kind of the first transition, and I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember what happened in 07 and 08, but the economy had a big, huge crash, massive crash, called the Great Recession. When they name something, it's pretty bad. Like, you don't really remember what happened in, you know, 05 if it wasn't great. But you, when they call something the Great Recession, you remember that. We'll be talking about COVID for the rest of our lives, by the way. 
Like, there's a whole group of kids that were in school during COVID. They'll be talking, oh, I was a COVID kid. Like, it'll be 2045, and they'll be talking about being a COVID kid. But 07, 08, the, the thing just crashed. Like, it just plummeted. And so it didn't really matter. We were in our house good because we had built it, so we had a lot of equity in our home, but it lost value. This is what happens. Markets rise, markets fall. On the earth, what is it? It's moth and rust destroys. Like things go up, things go down. It didn't make my house less valuable to me. I lived in the same house. Call it whatever you will. It's worth this, it's worth that. It was a great house. We loved it. Okay, so we're living there, but then everything started picking up again. And so now we're, we're like, oh, okay, we're sitting good. Now this would be time to sell the house, grab a bigger house, and just keep right on progressing. That was the plan. And then God called us to start a church in Colorado. Well, that wasn't the plan. The plan wasn't to build a house and then sell the house and take all the money and start a church. Like, that's, that's not the goal. I could do it, but I, that's not what I planned to do. But yet, that's what God asked us to do. And so, just, we did it. Sold the house, took 100% of it, and put it right in and started a church. And we lived in there in a rental house in Colorado for about a year. And then we had made an investment a few years before that that just happened to hit uh, when our lease was coming due. So we bought another house in Colorado. We lived in that house for about six years and watched that house escalate quite a bit. You just throw the numbers. We, this one here, 225, sold for 275, put 50 to start the church, bought a house for 315, sold it for 475 six years later. Now, I'm not that smart. I'm not a real estate guru. I don't know, I don't, but like the timing was coincidentally perfect. We bought our house here in Lakeland for $1 more than we sold that house for in Colorado, $1. I looked on Zillow for this, the purpose of this conversation because I'm curious, well, what's my house worth? Because the house a few doors down was going for a million dollars. I'm like, there's no way my house is a million dollars. It's like 750. That's a lot, I don't, that, that's a lot of money. I don't know, that, I think that's a lot of money. I started at 225, and in the middle of it gave God 50, and now it's 750 minimum. I'm just saying that when God asks you to do something, he's got a plan, and he just works stuff out. I will never probably talk like this again in my life, but it just makes sense to go ahead and tell. Everybody has their giving stories. I might as well give mine. Look, I'm just... God will bless you. It's what he does. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. It says, one who gives freely grows the richer. Yet there is one who withholds and all he knows is want. I don't want to just know want. I want to grow all the richer. But in order to do that, I have to give freely. And that's not natural for me. I have, to, I have to work at it. But I see God move in my own life and I see God move in other people's lives and now I'm in the middle of this text and I have to say, okay, and God worked in her life. And so we had a... Um, <laughs> we had an advanced commitment night the other day. And that's where people who already knew their number, they come up and they, they put their card in. And um, it was just a really sobering moment for me. Like, 
as a preacher, sometimes you just have to ask people to do stuff that you don't want to ask them to do. But we did. We just felt like we were following God and we asked. And the, these two people were leaving, putting, they each put their card in. And they were two widows, strong widows. Um, but it broke me. Like as a human being, it broke me. Because I, I know that I know that I know that if God showed up and asked them for something, then he has a blessing for them. And I may not have wanted to ask, and I may have even tried to not ask, but when he asks, he has something. See, here's what, another thing that bothers me about this text. God told Elijah, he said, I commanded a widow to feed you. Did he not say that? Well, why is it when Elijah got to Zarephath, she acted like she had no idea she was supposed to feed him? Why? Because the command was the word of the Lord in Elijah. And he was the one that had the command. Nobody wants to be that one. But here's the thing. When God gives a command into your house, God has a blessing for you. And I, ha I have to embrace that. I have to believe that. Or as a church, we can't do this. Because it's going to take every single one of us. And this is exactly what Jesus told the religious people. And they got so mad at him, they wanted to throw rocks at him. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 33, he said, I'll tell you a truth. I mean, they're getting all cocky because they're smart and whatever. Jesus says, I'll, I'll tell you a truth. How about this one? There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine over all the land. And Elijah was not sent to one of them, but to Zarephath, to a woman who was a widow. What does that mean? That means there were a whole lot of people who were in bad shape, who did not have a heart to give, and God wasn't going to send the prophet to their house because they were just going to say no. But he saw somebody who had a heart to give, and so he sent the prophet to their house. And when the prophet came to their house, not only did God make his word true to the prophet that he would feed him, but God made his word true to a widow in Zarephath where not only would she eat, but she would eat and her son would eat, her household would eat, and they wouldn't just eat one meal and die, but they would eat and they would eat and they would eat and they would eat and they would eat. And when we understand that God will come and and he will give us a command for the purpose of advancing his kingdom. And we just jump all in. What we must also embrace is if he asked me for something, that's because he has a blessing for me that there isn't even room enough to contain it. But if I will believe it, I will participate. And then I will look for him to do exceedingly abundantly beyond. I'll just look for the miracle to happen. I'm not just waiting for it. I expect it to happen. Not in a way that is arrogant, but here's what I've seen. Year after year, generation after generation, time after time. When I give according to the word of the Lord, God prospers me. He gets his work done, his kingdom advances, and he prospers me too. So that not just is his kingdom blessed, but his people are blessed.
because we are the people of his kingdom. So if his kingdom is going to prosper, who else prospers? His people. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. The apostle Paul's quoting Jesus and he said it like this. He said, you know what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. When I come to that place in my life where I, I actually believe it, that it is more blessed to give than to receive, then God can't ask me for something that I'm not willing to say yes. See, I can look back and I can see those times when I made excuses why I didn't want to be involved in something or wasn't going to do something. And I've never, let me say this, I have never said no and later felt good about saying no. And when I've said yes, I've never later felt bad about saying yes. That there's just something about obedience to the word of the Lord that brings blessing. And you may not be there yet in your life, so it may not be something you can say in your life. But I've heard too many stories. I've walked with too many of God's people. And I don't know anyone who has a generous heart who would not confirm that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so here we are, we're at this like intersection. And next Sunday is a big Sunday for us. Um, I, would I would love to tell you where the numbers are right now because it is, it is a testimony. But um, since they're all coming in, we're all gonna celebrate together. Um, I, think that's, I think that's fair. It's just one of those things I'll get to know for a couple of weeks before you do. Um, but next Sunday is the big Sunday. And by big, what I mean is uh, that's the one where all of us, not the early birds, people that are at Denny's at 5 a.m. having breakfast, it's for the rest of us scrapping at McDonald's to get breakfast before 10.30. Those people, us, all of us. Next Sunday is the day for us to bring our commitment cards and to make a promise before God that we are going to do this to advance his kingdom. And um, there's books at the back, there's cards at the back, all the usual stuff. But I, I want you to take this week, and I know we've been talking about this for like four weeks now. It's a long time, I get it. Um, but I want you to be very intentional this week so that you know what you want to do, what you feel like God is asking you to do. Not what the preacher's asking you to do. What is God asking you to do? So that when you show up next week, you're prepared. Cards filled out. You're ready to go. And at a point in our a time of worship next week, probably before we preach, um, we will bring our cards forward. We'll make our vows before God. That just means we're going to put our card in a box. Thank you, Jesus. Give him glory and go back and sit down. So uh, I just want you to take the words from today from a couple of weeks ago, the week before that, the week before that, um, and just weigh them in your heart over the next few days. Um, am I asking you to be involved? I am. I'm asking you to be involved with the rest of your church 
who is involved. And we'll make our promise next week, and then we'll come back afterwards, and we will, we will celebrate all that God has done. And then for the next two years, you're going to be telling me testimony after testimony, and we'll all be celebrating together for every win that God gives us along the way. Sound like a deal?